Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Matt Harmon and I have three special guests joining me today for another edition of my Don't Care team previews. Let's jump right into it. All right, everyone. Well, as promised a few episodes ago, I was able to convince Therese Paler to jump back on the show with me to talk a little bit of the Steelers. I don't care section. Now, Therese, uh, you were kind enough to join me, like I mentioned a couple episodes ago. So you know the format, uh, what we're doing here. So I'm just going to jump right into it with the Steelers. I got to say, my my I don't care section of, of this team is I just don't care about the past. And what I mean by that is I sort of feel like there's a fresh new feeling around the Steelers, because if you think about the 2018 team, you know, that was like the last year of the A.B. Juju tandem. You know, yeah. there was, it was the year of the Le'Veon holdout. The defense wasn't particularly good that year. Last year, obviously, great defense, but we didn't get to see the offense in full form. And I'm really excited about the skill position players on this team. But it all kind of hinges on Ben Roethlisberger, you know, sort of also shedding some demons from the past and becoming sort of a a new-ish quarterback in the last chapter of his career. Now, you just wrote a great piece for uh, the website about Roethlisberger and some of his uh, bounce-back potential here. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I think the biggest thing that – I got from speaking to Ben Roethlisberger, speaking to Randy Fickner, the offensive coordinator, and also a close Roethlisberger friend, is that he feels great. And you can like see the proof of it in the sense that over the previous 10 years, Ben outright told me, you know, yeah, like his elbow had been bothering him and he just threw through it. But what stuck out the most to me is that, you know, Randy Fickner says it's in the small moments where he doesn't see some of those lingering effects. Like beforehand, before the surgery, before the injury, he would see Ben shaking out his right arm, you know, like he was trying to get something out of there. And it was just in moments like that, he could kind of, and whether, sometimes he could even be sitting in the Steelers quarterback room and he'll notice Ben like kind of flicking his wrist, trying to shake something out of it. And he doesn't see that from him anymore, which to me was a great, great example of, one reason to be excited about the Steelers. Also, speaking of Roethlisberger, I mean, I thought that he was in a great space mentally. I do. I, I feel like he's optimistic. I feel like he's really excited. I think last year helped him appreciate the game even more. We know he loves the game of football, but he knows that he has a special defense behind him. He knows he's got a special defense on the other side of the ball. All this team needed last year to be dangerous in the playoffs was a quarterback. I'm actually bullish on the Steelers. I think they're going to make the playoffs. I think they're going to win 10 games. 
And I think that they're not going to be an easy out for whoever they play. You said it last year. They have some of the stone worst quarterback play I've ever I mean, I, I've almost ever seen, you know, I, you've been watching football a lot longer than I have. You've been covering the league a lot longer than I have. But I, I can hardly remember just some more uninspiring quarterback playing. It's so interesting that you mentioned, you know, that that was what I found so compelling about your story was that essentially the office coordinator, Randy Fickner, saying that, you know, he's been this elbow has been bothering him for a long time because, you know, the Steelers led the NFL in pass attempts in 2018. Like, that's also kind of wild to me that that he feels like that this quarterback was, you know, suffering through something all the while. They're still asking an awful lot of Ben. And maybe this year, I think with the defense, they're not going to have to ask as much. Ben's not going to have to be the hero of the moment. More just one, a very important, but one piece in the puzzle here. The Steelers quarterback play was bad. I think Deshaun Kaiser in the uh, Cleveland Browns (laughs) from what was it, 2017 with like a word. Um, yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo, they, the Carolina they, Panthers <laughs> year. That was another, that's another one that like always sinks my heart on a couple yeah, of notches. They, yeah, they like to, they like, they'd like a word. But um, yeah, you know, I, I think Roethlisberger's um, optimism was one reason to be kind of excited about this team. You know, and, and like furthermore, he threw like that even when his arm wasn't really feeling great because he's a competitor. He wants to win. And if he's stepping on the field, he's trying to win the ball games like that. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a very typical attitude for guys like this. I'm not surprised. I mean, he he hasn't really been complaining about he never really complained about it in the first place. So if he can get out there on the field on Sunday, they're going to throw the football. Um, right. Period. And I think in retrospect, you know, people were always kind of critical about the Steelers for throwing so much. You know, it's like, hey, run the ball, run the ball. But. They they've been at, they've been one of the teams along with the Chiefs that have been ahead of the curve as far as like hey this is where NFL's going we need to throw the ball we need to yeah. open it up and throw there's nothing wrong with that and I actually think the Steelers have built a roster that's going to give him a chance to do that they they're I think I like some of their options at receiver um, I know we'll talk about those here shortly but you know I, I really feel like as long as he stays healthy there's not a whole lot getting in the way of this team being. Pretty good. Yeah, whenever the Steelers aren't, you know, firing off on all cylinders, you know, not completely, you know, dominating games, I feel like there's a section of the fan base, maybe even a section of the like the old school Steelers media that like wants them to get back to pounding the rock or whatever. But I mean, look, they had they had the guys there in 2018 too. They had a future Hall of Famer in Antonio Brown. They have one of the best up and comers in Juju there too. They had the pieces to throw the ball a lot. They had the pass blocking to throw the ball. It's like you mentioned. It's where the league is going, and I think they even transitioned a lot from they were throwing the ball out under Todd Haley, but I think under Fickner they've implemented implemented more like high percentage passes, and I think we're going to see right. that even more so this year too. One thing before we jump to those uh, complementary skill position players, I, I, do you think it's just sort of like we're in a we're in a new era in terms of quarterback? quarterback play in terms of playing into their late 30s into their early 40s where even mm-hmm. a guy like Roethlisberger who you know I wouldn't say like Roethlisberger is not Tom Brady in terms of like you know the TB12 method or anything like that you know we'll just we'll leave it at that but at the same time like the mental and physical edge that from a health perspective that these guys can get nowadays like the game has totally changed I think to me from what these guys can do from a nutrition perspective from what these guys mm-hmm. can do from a, from a workout perspective that I think it wouldn't be surprising like Ben has something that seems like a catastrophic injury towards the end of his career but still comes back I I could see like a very good twilight to his career as well. Yeah, you know, I could I could as well. I think 
you know, I asked Ben, like, hey, how much longer do you want to play? And honestly, he doesn't know, but he does know this. He don't really want it to be anytime soon. Um, yeah. And I think as long as he stays in good shape and he doesn't re-injure the arm and they have success this year, it's a total possibility. You know, one thing I think is interesting is that he says that this is the lightest he's been in over a decade, which matters, too. Like, it shows a commitment to getting in the best shape possible. And honestly, his weight and his health, his, like, weight and his preparation for the season has been much debated, right, <laughs> um, about how hard he works out. But I think that's a good sign. Like, he does look good. He actually yeah. does look lighter. You can see it in his face, which is a positive thing. You know, one other thing I'll add, too, you know, you mentioned, like, the the developments we've seen with the, um, with the, with, with the health and taking care of yourself and how that's affecting quarterbacks and helping them play longer we got to also mention the fact that you can't just the, the game's not as brutal as it used to be like oh, yeah. this was 1994 like old quarterbacks just couldn't survive because they were literally getting pounded on every sunday yeah. yep. and now they've yep. legislated the bar the it's not as barbaric like they've yeah, legislated sure. a lot of that out the game my man so yes guys like Roethlisberger, i could easily see three more years playing really well yeah, I think that's a great point, too. I, I was even thinking as I was reading your article, I'm like, man, Ben looks kind of good in these pictures, like from where he was looking like pictures of because I've been writing a lot of like if Roethlisberger is great, like get ready to draft some Steelers in fantasy or whatever, you know, going through the archives of some pictures from him midseason. It's like, whoo, oh, boy, he's not looking so good there. But like here he's he's looking pretty trim, you know, for Roethlisberger. And like that's just within a few months period. So that's what I mean by just sort of the standards of physical health today, what these guys can do with the resources that they have at their disposal. Like don't rule anything out. Let's finish up on some of these skill position guys, some of these receivers. I know you mentioned Deontay Johnson as a guy that you were hearing a lot of good things about. He missed some time during camp, you know, with some injuries here and there. Where are we at with these skill position guys? Because I think it's one of the most fascinating young groups in the league. Yeah, I agree. You know, internally, people there are high on Deontay Johnson. I've heard a lot of positive things about him. He, regardless of like the Knicks and, and, you know, being nicked up in camp, he's done everything he's needed to do to take the next step as a player. But I feel like it's always tough for me, Matt, because like I'm in these really deep, dorky 20 team leagues. Sure, so sure. I got it. So, so like guys, so like guys who intrigue me at the end of like might not be it for everybody. So I got to try to broaden my horizons a little bit in a sense. Let's focus on the biggest guys here, the most important guys. So I'm going to do that and self edit and just say, if I had to pick one of these Steelers receivers, I'd actually pick Juju. Um, sure. I did talk to Ben about Juju. He is somebody who is very motivated to prove last year was a fluke. Mm-hmm. And I feel like one thing we cannot underestimate here is a contract year for him. Ben likes him. Ben wants to get him the football. And also, like you mentioned, hey, there's more high percentage throws. Well, Juju is like a short to intermediate match. Yeah, he's, he is this, the this high is percentage receiver. Yeah. He, yeah, so... If I had to draft a Steeler receiver, I'd actually take Juju first. Sure. And by sure. the way, I'd have no hesitation doing so. I really believe in him, and I think he's going to have a really good season. God, don't bet on 20, talented 24-year-old possession receivers with Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Don't bet against those guys. Yeah, no doubt, right? And like, I think guys like Deontay Johnson or James Washington is a guy who can take the lid off the defense, led the team in air yards last year, actually led the team in receiving yards too. And even a guy like Chase Claypool is a vertical threat that's been getting some positive uh, notes out of camp as well. Like if those guys break out, I actually think that's good news for Juju because he can stay in that comfortable possession receiver, you know, going over the middle, the high percentage slot looks against zone coverage. He can stay in that role. So I think it's actually kind of net if we're, in order for Juju to hit his statistical 
single ceiling. I don't know that we're ever going to see the numbers that we saw from 20, like 2018 from Juju just because of the offense and the way it's sort of transitioning and so many guys also breaking out there. But that could make him more just that much more efficient is what I mean by that. So I'm in on Gia- Deontay Johnson, too. I actually don't mind taking a lot of these Steelers players like guys like James Washington late. Even Eric Ebron's not a guy that anyone's talking about, but he's not you know, a total schlub or whatever. So, I mean, there's a lot to work with in Pittsburgh. No, you know, I agree there. You know, I think, um, you know, one guy that's interesting to me, at least a little bit, because he worked out with Ben, and Ben acknowledged that to me was Ryan Switzer. Right. You know, slot guy. So you might have to throw numbers at this position a little bit. But no, man, I I, I feel really good about the targets in Pittsburgh. And I really wouldn't. I, I, I'm like in on this offense enough to the point where like, you know, whether it's Connor or Juju or Deontay or James Washington, wherever I have them slotted, you know, I'm not going to put like a, you know, I'm not going to ding them. Like I will draft them at their right tier with no hesitation. Yeah. And they're all going at like very manageable ADPs. Actually like Johnson's a guy who who could have rocketed up boards even more if he had, if he wasn't injured during camp and we're getting a ton of positive reports. So that's kind of nice there. I've been hyping up Johnson all off season. So we're in on the Steelers this year. Uh, It sounds like they're also a team, by the way, Therese, like I'm very interested in stacking Cowboys players, you know, maybe some Michael Gallup, Dak Prescott. I'm very interested in stacking Russ with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Those type of teams really build a powerhouse. But exactly. the, Steelers, yes. the Steelers are in a more affordable version of that where you can get Roethlisberger, Johnson, Washington, late Juju up top. So point here is draft the Steelers. Therese, you just wrote a great feature, like I said, on Ben Roethlisberger. What else do you have going on here as the season is somehow right around the corner? Yeah, I know, right? I just wrote a story about Lamar Jackson. I used bits and pieces from an interview I did with him a couple months ago. And also his offensive coordinator, um, Greg Roman spoke yesterday. So, you know, I, I feel like, you know, people are a little worried about Lamar regressing. Personally, I actually feel I'm going the other way on that. I, I think Lamar cares a lot about winning. And I think that's all he cares about. And I think he's upset about the way last season ended. So I'm ex- I'm expecting a Mahomesian kind of jump in his postseason play. This year, the same way Mahomes was motivated by what happened against the Patriots in the AFC yeah. Championship game, I, there's no way Lamar's losing in the divisional round again, in my opinion. And one other thing I'll add here, and at some point I know I'll write this. Yes, he's got to improve his passing when trailing, short to intermediate. I got it. But the issue with facing the Ravens is that it's an up-tempo, run-based offense and they have arguably the most elusive quarterback of all time. Why is this a problem? Well, teams haven't really been practicing that much. Yeah, they've no, done yeah. it for the last month, but there's no preseason. And there's been less time to implement, implement schemes and concepts to actually implement and practice and, and practice the physicality you need to be able to stand up to that. You think guys are going to have an easier time tackling Lamar this year <laughs> yeah, or a harder right. time? Right. Like, it, No, I'm serious. Yeah. It's going to be easier or harder, Matt. It's going to be harder. It's going to be harder. I feel like athleticism, no games. athleticism is going to win out a lot with these yes. guys in the early stages of the, of the Continuity season. Continuity, too. Yeah. Continuity, too. And they have this. Most of this offensive line returns, yes, they're going to lose Marshall Yonda. That stinks, but they've got a, just a bunch of big, powerful guys they can kind of put in there, whether it's Benny Powers or Tyree Phillips or DJ Fluker or Bredesen. Like, this team, they can run what they run last year, and as long as they don't have a COVID outbreak, they're going to win 12 games. So I'm actually yeah. all in. I'm all in on the Ravens. 
totally. Like whether you want Hollywood Brown or Mark Ingram, and I'll give you a little fantasy tip too. Keep an eye on J.K. Dobbins now. Okay, I think we yeah. talked about this the last pod, yep, last yep, podcast. Yep. High reviews from internally on J.K. Dobbins and a deep sleeper as well, Devin Duvernay. All right? right, he's going to give them a chance to do some things that um, you know we might not have seen before. Speed so keep an slot. eye, keep an eye on Devin Duvernay. I think he's the apparent the uh, in the slot to Willie Sneed. Yeah, definitely. Look, I I listened to uh, Lamar Jackson talk to Kevin Clark from The Ringer, I think on his Slow News Day show, and he basically, like Kevin asked him, what's the what's sort of the lesson from, you know, teams passing up on you? And Lamar basically said, like, just get guys who win and want to win and figure the rest out later. It's like, yeah, that guy, that guy wants to win this year for sure. Well, Therese, thanks so much for stopping by. We're in on the Steelers. We're in on the, the Pittsburgh. We're in on the Ravens. Like, the, the AFC North is going to be a lot of fun this year. So thanks again for stopping by, Therese. Yeah, no problem, man. Take care. Now I'm pleased to welcome into the show a staff writer for The Ringer, Kaylin Jones. Kaylin, my man, how's it going? I'm doing pretty good, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, now, Kaylin, you're actually just, you're pretty new to The Ringer, so new to like the NFL beat. You actually came over from the college game. How, how's it been so far kind of covering the the league, as they say? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, it's always the goal, you know, growing up for sure. So, I mean, like, it's kind of surreal, but also it's surreal, you know, the fact that we're covering, like, I'm transitioning in the middle of a pandemic, um, it's, yeah. it's definitely weird for sure, but you know, like it's been awesome. Like uh, all my coworkers at the ringers are great. And, you know, just again, like getting back into the swing of the NFL as opposed to college football has been really, really fun. Yeah. I love, I love the ringer. I love a lot, a lot of what goes on there. I uh, read a piece of yours recently, which is kind of the impetus for you being on this section, uh, of the podcast, because essentially Kalen, what I'm doing with guests to preview some of these teams coming into the NFL season is to just kind of run by one, one you know, one liner for you uh, in terms of what I'm projecting this team for this year, the one thing that I don't really care about. And frankly, Kalen, I find myself not really caring about Mike McCarthy when projecting the Dallas Cowboys this year, which I feel like is a weird thing to say, but sort of in your piece, you kind of had the same thing, which is essentially like, there's a lot here for McCarthy to work with already. How much do we even really need to care about him this year? Exactly. I mean, like, I'm not really sure if you have to worry too much about McCarthy. I think he'll bring in more of a conservative ideal coming from, you know, West Coast principles. I know you came up with that Bill Walsh coaching tree, but I mean, from what I've read, you know, they're expected to, you know, have the same type of offense as before. We saw how aggressive that the Cowboys were in the passing game last year with Dak Prescott. And I mean, the fact that you add an additional weapon in the passing game with, uh, in addition to Mari Cooper and Michael Gallup, now you have CeeDee Lamb, who was a thousand yard receiver at Oklahoma. And he's a, a playmaker. And you talk about what they have in the backfield in Ezekiel Elliott. So what this team has from a foundational scope is very interesting. And as far as what they can produce, it should be more of the same moving forward, especially when you consider that Prescott, you know, is getting better. You know, with, as time has mm-hmm. gone, moved on, like he's gotten better. And, and the assumption is if he can, you know, continue at the rate that he's been going, he'll like produce at a top five fantasy level. Yeah. And look, I uh, <laughs> I just wrote a piece on this, too. And essentially, which is just my my premise was, you know, Mike McCarthy just kind of needs to stay out of the way. You know, right. like the le- I feel like the less we hear about McCarthy in 2020, the better it is for the health of 
of the Cowboys. And, you know, you, you touched on it, just all that they have to work with in this offense. You know, they have Ezekiel, they have these three receivers who I think all of these guys could be interchangeable. You know, they could be a number one on anyone's team. And Dak, you, you know, I'll take it a step further from what you said. I said in my piece, Jeff, to be like completely delusional to not think that Dak is a top 10 quarterback right, right now. You know, statistically, he's in there. He ranks seventh in adjusted yards per attempt, eighth in completion rate, ninth in passer rating over the last two seasons alone. And really, it wasn't even until Amari Cooper got there in 2018 that you could really start making right. the skill position talent around him. So I think Dak has become, you know, not just a product of the system type of guy, but the system that they started to put in place last year under Kellen Moore. And I don't know if you feel the same way. I thought it was encouraging that they kept him around and it keeps that continuity in place for Dak. Yeah. And, you know, my coworker, Kevin Clark, he preaches it. You know, continuity is the name of the game for the NFL this year. And the fact that you have Kellen Moore returning and especially the fact that he's maintaining play calling duties with Mike McCarthy, who's an offensive coach. Like you mentioned, as long as McCarthy stays out of the way, I don't see how this offense, you know, regresses in any way, shape or form, especially again, like because. Prescott, like you mentioned, top 10 quarterback. He's so young. He's expected to improve the next steps that he's supposed to take. So uh, I don't see how this Cowboys offense regresses in any way, shape or form. Yeah, I mean, they were already top five. I think they were number two behind uh, only the Ravens in offensive DVOA last year. So, you know, not a lot of room for improvement, really just even. But again, if they're top five unit, I think that's a win all the way around. How do you expect this receiver core to kind of shake out? Because. You know, I, I I really like all of these guys in in their certain roles, but mm-hmm. it's hard to peg like who is the most dangerous of this group. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that that's a really good question because it's kind of like pick your poison. Uh, Cooper, yeah, obviously he's great in the slot, Gallup for what he can do on the outside, and then C.D. Lamb, he averaged nine point two yards after the catch, and I've seen what he can do, you know, in person. Like he, he's a phenomenal athlete and a receiver, so. I don't know whether or not they'll all, you know, achieve that thousand yard mark, all three of them between Gallup, Cooper and and Lamb. I think the last trio to do it was either the Colts in like 2005 or something like that, or the Cardinals in like 2008. So uh, I don't know whether they can do that, but there's just so much talent there. We saw the fact that Gallup, you know, crossed the thousand yard mark for the first time in his career last year. There's just so much upside there. And then even with CD lamb, the fact that, you know, the Cowboys took him adding him to this offense. I think that there's just too much for Dak Prescott around him to not succeed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Gallup was one of just 23 wide receivers, uh, to cross 1,100 yards under the age of 24 over the last decade. So a big season from him. You mentioned it, though. You're, you're covering Texas before you – Texas football before you came uh, over to the ringer as an NFL staff writer. What was your impression of C.D. Lamb, like actually watching him as a collegiate prospect? My personal comp is DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, how do you feel about that? Oh, I like that comp. Because he's not, you know, ne- he's not necessarily the fastest guy, but he's just so good at making space. And really, what's the, the difference between him and Hopkins, I would say, is just what they can do after the catch. I mean, Hopkins, yep. again, he's a pretty good player and he breaks some tackle. But what CeeDee Lamb is able to do in terms of, you know, just not bulldozing over defenders, but just slipping tackles and what he's able to do in space. I think he's a similar athlete, but a little bit different. And I like Lamb's upside just a little bit more just because of his athleticism and his playmaking ability. So we'll see what he can contribute. But I, I, I think that's a favorable comp when you're talking about arguably the best receiver in the league in Hopkins. Yeah, I mean, obviously your piece on the Cowboys was one reason I wanted to bring you on, but especially because you have that background of watching uh, this guy, you know, in person, actually, actually seeing him. And I think that that's, you know, the after the catch stuff is is what does make him so intriguing. I think 
you know, I don't think there's many people in the league like Des Bryant, uh, other than DK Metcalf, who I think is like a Des right. Bryant clone. But that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think that when you look at at CeeDee Lamb, he could become that type of player for the Cowboys. You know, they, he's a guy who could return punts. Like Des, it, I yep. think people forget that like Des, you know, right. returned punts back yeah. in the day. Like was one of the best at that. And I think that's why, like, my hot take on this receiver core is that I wouldn't be surprised if like in 2022 they find a way, you know, to extend Gallup on a decent deal. And then they, you know, they start looking at ways to get out of that Cooper deal because Lamb has already established himself as that truly elite number one receiver. Um, There's just so much to like here. Uh, But you mentioned off the top, and this is the the last thing I want to hit on here with you. You know, Mike McCarthy ran into problems essentially like the last, I would say, three years of his Green Bay career, essentially being too conservative. Like it was – it was way too apparent watching the Green Bay Packers offense that you know the game had kind of passed him by. He used to be one of the best, you know, young minds in the game, but his system clearly ran stale. He ran stale and he never did much to change it. Obviously now we're we're we're, we're hoping that he's past that and I'm not sure that I I remember a coach really running more of an organized PR campaign quite like Mike McCarthy did in his year <laughs> away from football. How much of that do you buy, you know, that this guy can really sort of evolve who he was at the core during his Green Bay years? Um, I, I think that there's potential for it. You know, I'll buy maybe, you know, 70%, 60, 70% of it. Because the fact that you maintain, like, retain Kellen Moore as his offensive coordinator, I think that speaks volumes. The fact that he's yeah. at least said, you know, that they plan on running pretty much the same offense that you had before. And I know that the, the Cowboys only ranked about, like, I believe 14th in passing aggressiveness last season, according to, like, the next-gen NFL stats. But, yeah. you know, when you talk about what they were able to do in, in terms of, you know, the passing game and you add in, you know, that little bit of conservative factor from what Mike McCarthy brings. I think that it's kind of a marriage of the two principles. If you can find a way to, you know, work those two together. I think if he takes a sit, like kind of sits back this first year and observes everything, allows more to go through everything that he's supposed to, especially when we talk about continuity into, you know, what's been a really weird off season and allows everything to play out. And then maybe, you know, in 2021, 22, moving forward, like you see him having more of an imprint on the offensive scheme. But I think so long as he, you know, sits back and lets everything play out, I think that, you know, we'll be able to take him at his word. But, you know, the reason why it's not 100% right now is because they haven't played any games yet. So we'll see once the game starts. Yeah, I hear you. That is that is really the key. It's sort of the spread coast idea that's in Kansas City. You know, yeah. Andy Reid has taken some of these long traditional West Coast principles and made them into sort of that spread attack, which is obviously unleashed one of the best talents we've ever seen at the quarterback position in Patrick Mahomes. But I mean, that's sort of this is what we're talking about here with Dallas. Like they have that sort of potential to be that type of offense. It really is odd, oddly enough to say it's just all about the offensive minded head coach kind of staying out of the picture here, which, again, feels very weird to say well Kalen yeah. thank you so much for stopping by to uh, to talk about the Cowboys with me you know the big big time team here so uh so a big time moment for all of us to get to talk about this this organization as it's coming into 2020 what else do you have uh, going on over at the ringer uh, heading into this as you said very weird season uh so this week I believe that we're doing a Bucks theme day so by the time this is probably up we'll we should have a few articles up about, you know, the whole Tampa Bay Buccaneers offseason, which, you know, obviously Tom Brady's been the headline for that. I've worked on a piece about uh, the defense and 
Later on in the week, we'll have something running about how, you know, NFL players have adjusted uh, with their trainers in the offseason. So that's, I guess, what you can keep your eye out for out there. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure the people have definitely not gotten enough Bucks hype uh, in the offseason. But I will say the definite move you got to do is to go out there and check out uh, that that piece on how they're working with trainers, because that's the type of stuff like if you haven't been plugged in on it. Before you're going to want to be plugged in on this year, it's going to be a crucial factor, I think, to not just overall team success, but individual player success, too. Kalen, thanks so much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. And now I am lucky to be joined by Matt Waldman, the author of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. And Matt, we're not going to talk about any of that stuff, actually, today. We're talking about a team closer, I want to say, kind of closer to your heart, uh, you know, closer to, to the center piece of that big football brain up there. But anyways, before we jump into all that, how you doing, man? Man, I'm doing great. How about yourself? I mean, I'm 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 alive and kicking and uh, you know, just like I feel like everybody's a little weirded out that there's a football game in like 10 days, but yeah. you know, also looking forward to it as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, it's just been a a completely bizarre season at least in terms yeah. of like preseason and and then just year in general. So, at this point, you just kind of have to adapt and at this point I'm just trying to keep a smile on my face every day. Damn right. Well, one team that uh never usually ends the season with a smile on its face is the Cleveland Browns and that is the team we're going to be talking about today. When it comes to projecting the 2020 Cleveland Browns, I don't care about what happened in 2019. And and I know that's probably bad because so much went wrong last year, but I find myself very excited about some of these pieces that they have fitting into what I think is an offensive scheme that's going to fit these players a lot better. H- how do you feel about that kind of prompt heading into the season for Cleveland? For the most part, absolutely, you're correct about that because you have to understand that this was a team that made Baker Mayfield the focus of its offense when they had, in my opinion, the best running back in the NFL with some apologies to Ezekiel Elliott. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they put Nick Chubb kind of in the, in an offense and shotgun kind of side saddle to, to Baker Mayfield. Didn't give him as many options pre-snap when you have defenses penetrating because you don't have good tackles. Um, Now they have new tackles. Now mm-hmm. they have a new offensive scheme that's going to be modeled after what Minnesota did with a one-back system behind two and three tight ends, and then they got Andy Janovich at fullback, who is a Pro Bowl caliber fullback. They're going to run the ball. They're going to, if you ask me, I kind of put it this way. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio for a little bit. They used to have a bowling bus when I was growing up. So you literally, they'd take you bowling from the elementary school, a little like a big white bus, you know, it wasn't a short yellow bus, but a big white bus. And it would take (laughs) me there. And, you know, when you're the little kids would have the little gutter guards, you know, on the, in the bowling lane, you know, to keep them from throwing, you know, inaccurate balls. This offense kind of does that for Baker Mayfield because it's going to be a lot of play action, a lot of players slipping wide open across the field. Baker doesn't have to be the guy. He can just be more efficient because of the play action in the strong ground game. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I think it does sort of start with the running game here. Obviously, for this team, it did for Minnesota last year. And I I mean, some might hear you say that Nick Chubb is the best running back in the NFL and feel like that's a hot take. But when you look at when you watch him play, number one, he's just an incredible talent, like breathtaking in all facets. But then when you just you look at some of the advanced metrics, he's one of the most difficult backs to tackle in the NFL. Like the stats back up the film. He's probably if nothing else, he's probably the best pure runner 
in the NFL right now. Absolutely, because what he does, and you can study this. I mean, I've studied this with Dan Hatman, who's the head of the Scouting Academy, who is a, a two-time scout in the NFL, and he had me on his show to talk about Nick Chubb. And so we spent over an hour breaking down his film and showed how Chubb actually made his offensive linemen look better. That's very hard to do, difficult hard to do, to do last do. year. <laughs> yes, that's hard to do. When you can make your offensive line look better and help them reach blocks because of your ability to see the field, your patience, and your unbelievable teleporting-like burst, in addition to the, the ability to break tackles, He's an unbelievable back. I mean, he's mm-hmm. people think about Saquon Barkley because he's such a great talent, and he is. But Saquon Barkley doesn't run nearly as refined as a decision maker as Nick Chubb does. He's he's not a guy who understands when to keep it inside and not bounce it outside and try and out-athlete people. Nick Chubb has nearly the same athletic ability, despite tearing three ligaments in his knee, yeah, yeah, as yeah. Saquon Barkley still does today. And he's a better decision maker than Saquon Barkley. So when you put that on there, yeah, that's why I, you know, I kind of pound the pavement for saying Nick Chubb is the best running back in the league. It always kills me like watching Nick Chubb because I can't help but think that like, are we seeing like maybe 85% of what this player could have been 90% because he has this catastrophic, like horrible, horrible knee injury and he comes back from it and he's still like we're sitting here saying one of the best players at his position in the NFL. Just there's part of me that always does imagine with Nick Chubb, like what if there was more that we just really never got to see? Where do you think? I mean, obviously, I think both of us agree that Nick Chubb is going to be the focal point of this offense. Where does that before we talk about the passing game, where does that leave a player like Kareem Hunt, who I think was part of having a much more efficient offense in the second half of the year for Cleveland? Because Baker Mayfield just really didn't have a lot of layups in the first half of the season. And I think. Kareem Hunt started to be a factor in the passing game so much to that degree. But new offense, you know, maybe they're just focused, like you said, on this one back system. Where does that leave Hunt in terms of his usage in 2020? Well, and he's certainly a focus of debate or a subject of debate for a lot of fantasy players because they think of Kareem Hunt and what he did last year. And they say, well, he outpointed Nick Chubb in terms of the receiving game last year. So he's going to get the bulk of the receiving targets. That's what a lot of people think. But when you look at Nick Chubb, What you have to understand is while, yes, Nick Chubb had four drops to Kareem Hunt's two drops during that span, Nick Chubb ranked eighth in yards after the catch per reception with 8.8 and started further back behind the line of scrimmage than Hunt, who averaged 7.5. So Mm -hmm. it's not like that, you know, Chubb Chubb is a chump as a receiver, (laughs) you know, You, you have to understand that. So I think that. There's a cognitive dissonance there when people see Kareem Hunt and go, well, he was a top five running back with Kansas City Chiefs. How can you have him on the bench and not use both of them or not use him in a committee where you have an even split with Nick Chubb? Well, it's because it's hard for people to imagine that Nick Chubb is that much better. So Hunt is a guy that I think is going to have a role. He may, for a fantasy purpose, be a low-end running back three or a mid-range running back three. And I have him for about 600 yards and four touchdowns and about – 358 yards and a, and a and a receiving touchdown, but it's an even split to me mm-hmm. in this passing game because Chubb is still a very good receiver, and they're not going to take him off the field and make the offense predictable by saying, "Well, we're when we throw the ball to Hunt, we're going to put him in the game, right, and then we're, right. we don't throw the ball to the running back, we're just going to leave Chubb in." They're not going to do that. Yeah, that would be 
part of bad coaching, which I think we saw so much of last year, but I think we're going to see an improvement on this year. Like I think either way, I think Hunt can be part of your draft day plans because of the ceiling that he has if something was to ever happen to Nick Chubb. And this is the ultimate, like, if something happens to anybody football season, it's going to be 2020. And also, Chubb can still be, you know, one of your top 10 running backs because we expect this offense to get better. And let's talk about that passing game part of it, too, because I think if Chubb is really going to outkick his ADP, which I think is certainly possible, I think this offense has to get back to sort of the stratosphere that we put it in, you know, going into 2019, which would may, which maybe was just a little a year too early, didn't have the right scheme set up. And I'm with you. I love what this scheme does for Baker Mayfield because Mayfield, to me, he's not, you know, a, a the guy type. Like he's the, the 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 tide that raises all boats. You need a tide to raise him up a little bit. And I think they obviously have the skill position players to do it. But it really is the offense, too. Like last year, Baker Mayfield threw 19 boot or rollout passes, uh, which was 29th among all quarterbacks. Kirk Cousins was 66th. Uh, with 66 of them trailed only Jared Goff and he had an absurdly high passer rating on those throws too. So I think they're going to do so much more to make Baker comfortable. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. And this is his chance do or die this year. I, you know, coming into last year and even the year before I was, I had Baker Mayfield compared to Jeff Garcia, which is not a sexy pick for a lot of people, (laughs) but Jeff Garcia was a two-time pro bowl quarterback at his best for the way that you just described him as a quarterback is he wasn't going to lift everybody, but if the offense could lift him, he could, he could work with that. And Mayfield's that type of quarterback. And so when you look at Mayfield in this situation, you could even say he's getting Jake Plummered in the way that Jake Plummer in Denver way back in the day, took the Broncos to the AFC championship game off of a, an offense that was very much a Kubiak Shanahan style play action pass, roll out and throw those rollouts downfield. And Mayfield's very good at that. When you have Beckham, who is now healthy, Odell Beckham being healthy, and you then also have a very good underneath receiver in Jarvis Landry. And with these athletic tight ends, you know, the Austin Hooper, Harrison Bryant, who we'll talk about in a minute, I'm sure, um, as well as David Njoku, who seems to be yeah, kind a of a forgotten man. These are guys that are going to slip out in the middle, you know, into open territory and be able to run free in zones for big plays. Yeah, I think that part's key when it comes to both the quarterback and the receivers. Last year, uh, Baker Mayfield, his completion percentage on play action throws was 10% higher. Uh, and they were they were pretty high in terms of play action. They weren't like at the bottom of the league or anything, but like they certainly weren't up there in terms of, you know, Minnesota using it on about 30% of Kirk Cousins throws. And it's easy to talk about that with Baker Mayfield, but I do want to hit on that on the receiver point too, because I, I, I want to know sort of where you're at with Beckham coming into this year. Cause I think one thing that it's easy to say that he was not healthy right last year. I think that I know the, the second I turned him on to, to chart his film I could just, you know, there was a huge difference there. The numbers obviously then bore out that difference. But more importantly, too, I thought they didn't, again, didn't really give Beckham enough layups either. Uh, His slant route percentage dropped by 10%, you know, going from New York in his final year to his first year in Cleveland. I think we're going to see a lot more of those on those boot action, play action fake or play action fakes as well, too. Yeah, this offense last year seemed like there were too many cooks in the kitchen and they really didn't understand. No pun intended. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) How to use it and and how to really use their players the best way they possibly could. And so when you think about 
Mayfield, you know, there was a range of Mayfield maybe missing some plays to Beckham there, yeah. you know, not only just not seeing Beckham wide open on some plays and being able to to do that because he didn't have great protection and he needs great protection because he can't step up in the pocket very well. Yeah, that's just never been a great skill of his. So he likes to try and go out to one of the sides. That's why the rollouts are going to be a nice added feature to what he does. But yes, if you can use the play action pass to make quick hitting throws Two players like Beckham and Landry, they're excellent after the catch. And this offense, once again, is set up for that. So you should see that. And and we should be shouldn't be remiss to say that, you know, there's a reason they brought in Case Keenum this year. I mean, it's not a positive thing for a lot of people. But, you know, you could look at it on the surface and say Case Keenum is the guy that's bringing a veteran presence, going to help Baker Mayfield in the film room, knows the Kubiak-style offense, playing in Houston, playing in Denver, also you know knowing Stefanski a bit in Minnesota. So there's all of that there. But we also know that if Bayfield fails this year, that this, this front office isn't invested in him, and Case Keenan would make the perfect bridge between Baker Mayfield and and a 2021 first-round quarterback. Yeah, I mean, for, if you're drafting these guys in fantasy, you probably don't want to see Case Keenum out there because you know things have gone wrong. But I love the point, too, that like he's he knows the system, been there before, and I think also... Is a guy a similar sort? You know, it sounds crazy to say about a, a guy who is, you know, a, a, a very, very low thought of player coming to the league in Case Keenum and a guy who went number one overall in Baker Mayfield, but similar sort of skill sets and similar sort of builds and like in an ideal world, similar approach to the game as well. Absolutely. And this is a player who's had more experience in worse situations than maybe Mayfield has and has performed better, at least because he's had a longer track record. Mayfield still has a chance to really rebound this year and perform well. And this offense is going to give him that shot. But the thing that Case Keenum can do a little bit better is that he can step up in the pocket. He can make the first and second defender miss without abandoning the pocket completely and make wiser throws. He's he's kind of gotten some of those bad things out of his system being a backup and, uh, you know, with the Rams and with all these other teams and then kind of work, refined his game into that. Whereas with Mayfield, it's kind of like you're the show and we expect you not to have to refine your way out of that as much. Yeah, exactly. Well, Waldman, thank you so much for uh, jumping on here and talking about this team with me because I, I think we're kind of on the same page. Like, let's throw out what we saw in 2019 and give this it's, as hard as it is. I know fantasy managers really struggle with like the clean slate and like not our, you know, hashtag burnt. I got burnt by this guy. I'm never doing it again. Let's give the Browns a clean slate here and have a little bit of imagination heading into 2020. What else do you got cooking right now heading into this season? Uh, again, one of the weirdest football seasons of all time. But what else are you working on this year? Well, you know, I do work at um, YouTube with my RSP film room where I have guests like Vad Lee, former um, Walter Payton Award winning quarterback, Mark Schofield, who's a former quarterback at Wesleyan. We study the, the tape and break down 2021 prospects as well as NFL prospects together. And you can find me at football guys where I, you know, I do my gut check column and of course my top 10 column where I break down tape of each week's games to give you some fantasy ideas about what to be looking for for the following weeks ahead. Awesome. Thanks so much, Waldman. Really appreciate it. Hey man, my pleasure. Thanks again to Matt Waldman, Therese Paler, and Kalen Jones for joining me on today's show. 
While you're waiting for the next edition of the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast, we've got some other great podcasts for you to listen to here at Yahoo Sports. Fantasy Baseball, that's still a thing. So make sure you check out the Yahoo Fantasy Baseball Podcast with Scott Pianowski. Of course, we just had Therese Paler on the show, so you definitely want to make sure you subscribe to the Yahoo Sports NFL Podcast with the aforementioned Therese Paler and, of course, Charles Robinson. And, of course... We have college uh, football start times, folks. So you have to check out the Yahoo Sports College College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our friend Pat Forty from SI. All that said, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Tomorrow, Dalton Del Don is joined by Rudy Gamble. Until then, we are out. I'm Mike Lizikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. We're the hosts of Skullduggery, a podcast that not only breaks down the news, but also breaks news. We deliver authoritative analysis while drawing intriguing historical parallels from our decades of covering D.C. scandals. With our current focus on the president and his administration's handling of the coronavirus, to the 2020 elections, we interview those helping to shape the stories. So subscribe to and download Skullduggery wherever you listen to your podcasts and be sure to follow us on social media at Skullduggery Pod.